This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. In 1976, I had the privilege of taking a trip to the Bible lands, and that was a trip of a lifetime. It may be that some of you that are watching now have been there several times, but I've not had that opportunity, only one trip. But I think about it often as I'm studying the Bible and I study about different places in the Bible. But I believe the highlight of the entire trip was the day that after we had seen the ruins of where the city of Capernaum used to be, that the guide took us to the site over the Sea of Galilee on a little slope there, and we were sitting there, and he began to explain that it was somewhere in that region that Jesus sat down and taught the greatest sermon that has ever been delivered, and we refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be discussing a, a series of lessons entitled Moments on the Mount. And in that series, we're going to be talking about the Beatitudes of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Billy Lambert, and I'm the speaker on Getting to Know Your Bible, and I, I want to welcome you today, and please stay tuned as we discuss Moments on the Mount. Now, in Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course and in order that you might know more about the course, we're going to pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call toll-free Today I'm reading from Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to be reading the first three verses of Matthew chapter 5 as we study about the moments on the mount. And we're going to be begin our study today of the Beatitudes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To give a little background of this, in the fourth chapter of Matthew, Jesus had been tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And it was after that that Jesus began his ministry. We're told in the 17th verse of the fourth chapter that Jesus began to preach, 
saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in the study of the Sermon on the Mount, I want us to notice the times that Jesus used the expression, Kingdom of heaven. He talks about it often. Because Jesus Christ is laying the groundwork for the coming of the kingdom. Now, when we come to the fourth chapter of Matthew, we see that because of Jesus' teaching and because of the various miracles that Jesus performed, there were multitudes of people following him. And so when we come to the fifth chapter, Jesus saw the multitudes. And when he saw the multitudes following him, he went up on a mountain that is, he was in an elevated position above them. And that's when Jesus began to teach. We'd make this observation about that, that, that mountains often played a prominent role in the life of Jesus. For example, when we come to the 17th chapter of Matthew, we're told that, that, that Jesus was on a mountain and that's where Jesus was transfigured. That's the occasion when God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. According to Luke's gospel, at sixth chapter, Jesus went often up into the mountains to pray. And then Jesus was crucified on Mount Golgotha. We refer to that as a mountain. It's when I saw the place that allegedly is the place where Jesus is crucified, it's it's sort of a knoll or a, a raised a mound. It's not really what you would refer to as a mountain in relation to the Rocky Mountains. But Jesus went up on this mountain and, the, and he sat down to teach. That was the way that men taught in that day. And I heard someone speaking the other day and they referred to sitting at the feet of a certain preacher and listening to him preach. Well, the preacher likely was standing but they were using sitting at his feet as a reference to sitting down and listening to this man teach the gospel of Christ. And so here Jesus is teaching this multitude of people. And then Jesus opened his mouth and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus mean when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit? First of all, the word blessed means to be happy. Happy are you if you're poor in spirit. Well, Jesus is not talking about being poverty stricken. And there are many people that are living on the poverty level or below the poverty level. And there are those that are living way above the poverty level. And those above the poverty level may be poor in spirit as well as those who are poverty stricken. In the, we read about the Macedonians in the 8th chapter of 2 Corinthians. And there the Bible talks about them as being in deep poverty. And then we read about the poor widow in Mark's gospel. And she gave all she had uh, to the, into, put it into the treasury. And so poverty, when a person is poverty stricken, 
That's not to be equated with being poor in spirit. A person may give all they have, or they may have a great abundance they give to the Lord and still not be poor in spirit. So what does it mean? When we are poverty-stricken, we are aware of our spiritual poverty. Unfortunately, many are not. It is a sad thing for a person to be sick and not know it. But it's worse for a person to be sick and, 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 and to, to be unaware of the deep physical poverty that they're in. That is, may they may be nigh unto death. In Judges, the 16th chapter in verse 20, we're told that Sam, the Spirit of God departed from Samson, but Samson did not know it. Isn't that a sad thing? For, for the Spirit of God to be departed from a person and they're not even aware of that fact. And it's bad for a person to be spiritually poor and not be aware of that spiritual poverty. So to be poverty-stricken means that I'm aware that I am poverty-stricken. You know, in the 64th chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah said in the first couple of passages there that there are, there were talking about people's righteousness. He said that our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. And, and so I may have my, my human righteousness righteousness that I feel that I, that I deserve. I may have done a lot of good things and I feel good about all of those good things. However, I may be spiritually poor and I'm not even aware of it. And so to be poverty stricken means I'm aware that I, I have spiritual poverty. And then it also means to, that I'm aware of my helplessness without God. I'm reminded of Jesus' statement in John the 15th chapter and verse 5 where Jesus said, Without me, you are nothing. Without me, you are nothing. And without me, Jesus, we can have nothing. Without Jesus, we can be nothing. Without Jesus, we have no real uh, future except a very dismal one. But with Jesus we can have the abundant life. And so when I'm poor in spirit, that means that I recognize I'm so helpless without God. And then it also means that I realize that I, I have to depend on God. So many people today are not dependent upon God. Isn't it a sad thing that, that people think, well, you know, I, I, I earn my own living I pay my own bills. I don't need anyone. I don't even need God. Now, I believe that's the way the people in Macedonia, not rather not Macedonia, but rather in Laodicea felt in the third chapter of the Revelation. And they said, we are rich and we're increased in goods. And we, listen to them now, we have need of nothing. And that would include God, would it not? And later Jesus reminded them in that letter written to that church that they, were, that they were wretched and poor and blind and they were naked. They were spiritually naked because they did not have on the robes of righteousness which they, ought to, that they should have been clothed with. And so it's when we are poor in spirit, we recognize how helpless we are without God. 
And is you know, Paul was preaching to people that were really, they were heathen people. And they were atheists in that they did not believe in the true God. Oh, they had all kinds of gods in Athens. It is said it was easier to find a God in Athens than it was a man. They were so plentiful. But when people, Paul preached to them about the one true God, he said it's in him that we live and move and have our being, our very being. It is in God that we live and move and have our being. I'm de totally dependent upon God. The very next breath that I take is a breath that has been given to me by the God of heaven. But to be poor in spirit also suggests that I'm aware that I am not superior to other people. Oh, there are those that talk about those that are the upper class, the middle class, the lower class. But, but when I'm poor in spirit, I don't see that. I don't recognize my superiority to anyone. You know, Paul, the apostle Paul wrote and said that a man ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And yet there are those that do. It was Napoleon who said, I'm not a man like other men. And, and if he had stopped there, he would have been making a very true statement because he was not a man like other men. But that's not really what he meant, that he was a great man. He said, the laws of morality do not apply to me. He thought he was better than other people. And he even thought he was better than God himself, because he said, even the laws of morality are not applicable to me. To be poor in spirit also suggests that my, I understand how my sin offends a holy God. And sin, any sin, is against God. I'm reminded of the story of Joseph when Joseph was sold into Egypt by his brothers. In Genesis, the 39th chapter, he said, I cannot do this and sin against God. You, you see, Joseph recognized that anything that he did wrong was against God. In Isaiah, the sixth chapter, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am done. I, I'm a man of unclean lips, and, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He recognized his sin in the presence of God. He had been brought in a vision to the very throne room of God, and that's where he realized his spiritual poverty in the presence of God. And when we are aware of our spiritual poverty, when we know that we are poor in spirit and we live that way, we see how the world needs God. And if there was ever a time the world needed God, it's in the day in which you and I live. And to be poor in spirit, Let's think about what it really means to be poor in spirit. And it means that we've turned our total attention away from the world and we've turned our attention to God. Now, that's where the rub comes in, isn't it? There are so many things to distract us today. Oh, so many things. And it's easy for us to look down. You say, well, what do you mean by that? 
Well, let me read a passage that might explain what I just meant. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things that are above and not on things on the earth. Good people will never be poor in spirit uh, until we begin to look for, at things that are above and not on things that are on this earth. So we don't need to be looking down. We need to be looking up. We need to be thinking about things that are good, things that are high, things that are holy things that are spiritual, fill our hearts and our minds with spiritual thoughts and not things that are worldly in their nature. Oh, we're in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. A ship may get in the water, and that's okay, isn't it? But when the water begins to get inside the ship, that's when that ship is in trouble. And we're in the world, but the world doesn't have to be in us. I think about what Paul wrote in the 12th chapter of Romans. He, he said, be not conformed to this world. What did he mean, don't be conformed to the world? How do we, how do we keep from being conformed to the world? I have in my, my pocket a wallet and if I were to take that wallet out, you would know, notice that there was sort of a little curvature to one side of that wallet. And the curvature in that wallet is the side that is close to my body. And so the reason that it is conformed to my body, cur the curvature is curved like my body is, is because it's close to it. And the reason Paul said don't be conformed to this world is he doesn't want us to be close to the world. But then he went on to say in that passage, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I've often said that Christians are soldiers in rebel territory. We're fighting in the devil's territory, but we're not to be conformed to his territory. And so to be spiritually minded and to be poor in spirit, we have to watch what we do, watch what we say, watch what we go. Watch those things that we listen to, that we, things that we see. And so we need to live above the world. You say, that's a hard job. Yes, it's a hard job. Being a Christian is not always the easiest thing that you can do. But to be poor in spirit, we have to turn our attention away from the world. Well, you say, how do you do that? We have to fall out of love with the world. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, do you remember when you maybe were in the fifth or sixth grade 
and you fell in love with some young girl or some young boy in the fifth or sixth grade, and oh, you just thought this is going to be the love of my life, we'll eventually get married. And, and then one day the love of your life breaks your heart and they tell you, I don't want to be with you anymore. I don't want to be your boyfriend anymore. I don't want to be your girlfriend anymore. Let me ask you a question. How did you get over that? Well, I'll tell you how you got over it. You fell in love with somebody else, didn't you? And now maybe you've been married to the love of your life for 20, 30, 40, or 50 years. And so the way that you fall out of love with the world is that you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we love Jesus Christ, the world doesn't mean much to us anymore. It just doesn't mean what it used to mean. And the reason some are lacking in poverty of spirit is they've never learned this point. That you have to learn to turn your attention away from worldly things and start focusing on the things that are spiritual. Let me tell you about some who were, were who lacked poverty of, of spirit. And I think the classic is a man by the name of Haman. And we read about Haman in the book of Esther. And, and Esther was trying to do away with a Jewish uh, man by the name of Mordecai. And so he had a gallows built for Mordecai. And Haman went to the king. And he said, uh, now, now to give you a little background, Mordecai had revealed to the king a plot and, and there was a plot that he had revealed to the king, and it was a benefit to the king. But Haman un, came and he said, I, I, I'd like, who do, would you like to, to uh, honor? And he thought to himself, the king would, it, he would want to honor anyone but me. And he said, well, I'll tell you who I'd like to honor. I'd like to honor Mordecai, and I want you to lead Mordecai through the streets on the back of a donkey. And you talk about crushing a guy, it crushed Haman. And then the king learned that Haman had a gallows built upon which he intended to hang Mordecai. But guess who got hanged on that gallows? You're right. It was the man who built it. You see, he fell into his own trap. And he reaped what he had sown. Here's a man who was so lifted up with pride, so self-exalted, who thought so much of himself that it became his own downfall. Another example, I think, of one lacking in poverty of spirit is a man of whom we read in the 18th chapter of Luke's Gospel where Jesus talked about a publican and the Pharisee. And they went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee was praying a prayer. Oh, you talk about a... I've often wondered to whom he was praying. He, he said, I, I want you to know, Lord, that I am so thankful that I'm not like other men. 
And then I can just see him pointing to that publican saying, and I'm not, I'm thankful I'm not like him. He said, Lord, I, I fast twice a week. Lord, I'm giving tithes of all that I possess. And he said, Lord, I'm not running around on my wife. Someone says, is that actually in there? Uh, I just suggest you go read it in Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. He was being faithful to his wife. Now, Jesus analyzed these two men. And Jesus, in analyzing, said, Everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. But he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So, so you see, the, the, the Pharisee was lacking in poverty of spirit. While the publican, we're told, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. And he smote his breast and he said, God, please God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here's a man who was, had poverty of spirit. He saw his need for God. We need poverty of spirit in our living today. Our world is a hard world. For the last great while, our world has gone through some very difficult times. Not only in America, and in all of the countries throughout the world where getting to know your Bible is being broadcast. And there's not ever been a time that we needed to be closer to God than in the days in which we live. In giving these Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving kingdom characteristics. Things that he expects of those who are members or citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In order for a person to be saved, they've got to come to that point where they feel their need of Jesus. You say, Brother Lambert, I, I feel it today. I know I need Jesus in my life. And thus I would encourage you to give your life to Him by becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus. John 8, 24 teaches that. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, we're taught that we ought to repent of our sins and that as penitent believers, we ought to be willing to confess Jesus as the Christ as, as Peter did in Matthew 16, 16. And we should be willing to submit to baptism in water for the remission of our sins as the people on the day of Pentecost did in the second chapter of Acts. You say, well, Brother Lambert, I've been studying the Bible course and I'm, I'm ready to take that step. I'm, I believe in Jesus and I want to be baptized into Christ. Then contact us and we'll assist you. Some servant of God will help you in your baptism. I want to thank you for watching, getting to know your Bible today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. 
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.